everybody. Welcome to the Small Town Artist Podcast. It's been a long time. Uh, I've had to organize my thoughts, figure out exactly how I wanted this podcast to go, uh, what the value I was going to bring to the listeners. I think we had a few good podcasts a few months ago, but uh, I've evolved. I've become better. I am a superhuman. My body's good. Uh, My mind is good. My art is good. My life is good. Lots of stuff has happened. Went to Europe, saw Scotland, changed my life. Went to Florence, changed my life again. And it's all happened uh, very quickly. So I'm very excited about that. And today, I've got a very special guest on the podcast. If you guys don't know who this is, you're going to know, uh, you're going to have her book uh, <laughs> on your shelves uh, at home. You're going to see her art, you're going to collect her prints. Uh, I've got the very lovely, the very Scottish Shelby Seymour <laughs> in my dining room. Shelby Seymour is an artist. <laughs> in your dining room? Yes. It's not mine. <laughs> no, it's not yours. It's mine. It's, uh, 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 she's a, a, uh, a, a very talented and uh, amazing writer. Um, she is also a uh, wonderful artist, uh, digital uh, sketch, uh, uh, getting into painting, uh, doing a lot of stuff there, which we'll talk about. And, uh, an amazing cook. Uh, she's also, uh, the love of my life. Uh, but that's not the reason I have her on the podcast. It's just a plus. It's just a bonus. Uh, so why don't we uh, start things off by just talking a little bit about Shelby Seymour. Shelby, <laughs> say hello, my love. Hi. Hi. Uh, I have nothing more dignified than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we uh, have some really great conversations about art uh, whenever we're sitting down at breakfast, which is actually what we're doing today. We just had breakfast. Um, and, uh, well, we don't just have uh, good conversations at breakfast. We have good conversations all day about art and business. And we're big fans of um, Gary Vee. Yes. Yeah, we love Gary Vee. Very much. Gary Vaynerchuk. If you guys haven't listened to Gary Vee's podcast or YouTube or TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, or <laughs> he's everywhere. Uh, check him out. I think he's everywhere but Pinterest. Just make sure you Google Gary Vee, like veterinarian not gary b yeah gary v as in uh v as in Vec- victor i think it's vector it's vector victor <laughs> no it's victor oh <laughs> it's got to be victor because that in itself is confusing vector or victor uh who else do we listen to or read um at the moment or just in general um i would say at the moment oh uh or who are you listening to? Who, like, That's more who are you listening to? I should ask that question. Um, I think I do a circle of Gary V is probably sixty percent right now, uh-huh. and then I always throw Tony Robbins in there. Tony Robbins is good, just in general. I, I think, think he's Tony. probably like I have a more nostalgic about Tony Robbins because he got me through grad school. So whenever yeah. I feel anxious, I always listen to him. Um, and then the rest is probably. Uh, podcasts i don't know if i have a specific podcast or just podcasts in general what do you type in in your podcast whenever you want to listen to um something? i don't do entrepreneurial stuff like i do on youtube it's not gary v stuff it's very lifestyle stuff like what so um 
I think it's the Lifestyle Sophisticate. That's the one I like the most. I'll make sure I get her right. She talks about how to make your life European, even though you're a broke American. So <laughs> I really like her. Broke as in poor American or broken <laughs> like as in damaged American? Either. <laughs> okay, that's So cool. she's probably my favorite podcaster because her podcasts are real short. And there are things you can do. I like her because she's like, take action. She's like, here's a five-minute podcast. Here's something you can do today. Cool. So I listen to her whenever I just need a spruce. That's great. So, yeah. Um, are you a writer first or a artist, like painter first? I don't know. I'm a fangirl first and then everything else kind of falls after that. Uh, what, what, is, what is a fangirl? What's a fangirl? Um, <laughs> I don't even know how to describe this. Um, I discovered I was a fangirl when I was 13. I didn't know I was one until... Everyone else on the internet was the same way. I was probably more than that. I've probably been a fangirl since I started reading Harry Potter. So a fangirl, and it can be argued fanboys, but most fanboys describe themselves as fangirls, um, take absorbing and consuming content to the next level. So instead of just watching a movie and clapping your hands and being like, that was nice. I enjoyed that. I'll never watch it again. Uh, fangirls rewatch the movie, reread the book over and over and over just for the, not, not to just watch, but to reabsorb the vibe from the movie. And then they take that and create content of their own. So you can find different little niches of fangirls on all over social media that they're creating art and stories. And that's really where I got into it was fan fiction. Um, which if, you don't know what fan fiction is. That's a whole nother beast. I don't know how to exactly describe. So basically a fan takes a show or a book or anything that's inspiring to them. And they re, they either fill in the plot holes that the movie or book doesn't touch on. Like they'll write out a story for a side character they like. Or if they don't like the way the movie or the book ends, like with The Hobbit, everyone in The Hobbit fandoms in uber denial then they'll rewrite the ending. And then everyone in the fandom just decides that's the new ending and we're not accepting the actual ending because it's too depressing. So the content can be like written word. The uh, content's anything. There's drawings. cosplayers are now a big thing. That didn't used to be a big thing. Cosplaying is a big thing now. Um, fan videos have been around. I found YouTube by looking at fan videos when I was 12. So oh. I still remember the music and the Draco Hermione videos I watched first time on YouTube when we moved to Jayton. Um, it seems like the mass horde of it is fan fiction just because there's so much fan fiction, but it's really more visual, especially with social media and like Tumblr. Right. So. so like, what's the first piece of like fandom content that you created? Oh. I would, okay, so when I was in seventh grade, we had to take a video production class, which was probably the most incredibly useful class I ever took in school, and that includes grad school, which was my seventh grade video editing class with Mr. Wilson. Wow. Yeah. What so, school was this at? Who has video editing in seventh grade? That's what I said. Grade? That's what I said, but it was a mandatory class in Jayton. Wow. Where my dad was a superintendent, 
You had to take it when you were in seventh grade and when you were in tenth. Shout out to Jayton. Uh, mid, it's the only shout school. out. Jayton has no Jayton ISD. It's Jayton, all one school. It's, all it's one, one building. It's one building. Okay. Yeah, they got daycare, elementary school, pre-K, middle school, junior high. One hundred forty-seven students, pre-K through twelve. <laughs> and they've got video editing as a mandatory course for seventh Twice. grade. Twice. Twice. Seventh and tenth grade. Wow, that's impressive. I, it was probably because they didn't have any other electives and right they had a bunch of Macs donated i think and they were like hey look there's i well they still had to have a, a person teach it yes mr wilson was my favorite teacher of all time yeah wow and so that's you did a video Is so i would so here's the story so dad was a superintendent and he and mom would work the basketball games and football games and all they had to do all the extracurricular stuff but it's all in the same building so you could walk from the gym to the library and upstairs where the video editing room was. And so since I was a superintendent's kid, dad would give me the keys and I would just wander the halls essentially, mostly going to the library. Um, and then I would go up to Mr. Wilson's room and get on my computer and just make little videos, that little fan videos that no one's ever seen. Oh. That are probably still on that computer because oh, I haven't updated them. But that was your first experience with, that was with my creating. First experience. I never published them or anything. They were just I just tried to copy what I saw on YouTube. Wow. So yeah, I would film. I would because we had like the tapes Cassette and the tapes. cameras still. Yeah, yeah. And I would film Harry Potter with the camera, uh -huh. and then upload it to the computer to do the video editing. I was determined. No one was ever going to see it, but I genuinely enjoyed it. Wow, that's a great. I think that's a great start to getting into creating. Fan, fan fiction, fan fan art, yeah, fandom in general. It was a very weird year. It was a year that I serendipitously, there were two or three things that just fell together that made me the, you know, rampant, avid fangirl I am. If I had never met, like, my friend, if I never met my friend Jessica and saw her on Quizilla one day, I would have never known what fan fiction was. Right. It just happened in the, like the two weeks I started seventh grade. So then, how did that evolve? Where I mean, you now you write, you you do digital art. Like, how how did that evolve into what you do now? Um. So I didn't really start writing. Well, I say that my dad claims I've been writing since I could staple paper together, and I would make little books. Um, I'm sure they're somewhere. I'm sure mom and Nana have kept them somewhere. But I, I don't, I never, when I started reading fan fiction, that's all I did, I suppose. I would just consume fan content mostly, and I'd make videos, but no one ever saw them. I didn't participate in the community, really. I would mostly hide from homework. Well, I did my homework, but I would mostly get everything done, and I would hide from cheerleading practice and hide from sports practice and go find a computer and obsessively read fan fiction from the moment I got up to when someone pulled me out of the chair and made me go to bed. <laughs> and I wish at that point we had like the iPods with the internet and that so I could have kept reading, but there was nothing like that back then. Right. So it wasn't until I think my sophomore year that I, yeah, it was my sophomore year that I decided to try writing. It wasn't even fan fiction. I just, the trend on fan fiction was vampire arranged marriage stories, which is cringy. And <laughs> I don't want to admit to this, these stories I read for about two years of my life. Um, so I was like, I'll write one of these. This can't be that hard. 
Um, and I was very proud of my 30,000 words, and I think Dad read it. But I gave it to my boyfriend at the time, who told me it was the worst shit he'd ever read. And I stopped writing till I was, like, in college. Really? Yeah. 30,000 words. 30,000 words. Oh, my god. 30 gosh. or 40. And you were how old? Sophomore? Uh, yeah, sophomore. My goodness, wow. Yeah. Wow. I think I still have it somewhere. Dad you found better. the cover art somewhere. You better. <laughs> better. That's going to be worth a lot of money. Um, so, yeah. And then when I got to college, well, college, my senior year, I ditched high school and went to college. Um, so, I guess technically my senior year, I started taking English classes and I had Dr. Hama come up to me and he was like, you're a good writer. You need to be in the English program. And I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not too bad at this. So then I started writing again for myself, kind of like the video editing. I just, I still have story. I have countless stories. I wrote some Snape fan fiction that I've never published. Um, just sits on my computer in a flash drive somewhere. And it just kind of was a writing was a secret thing mm -hmm. and until I got to I think grad school where I was well I started I realized I was I've always been good at arguing um in terms of I can lay out a good argument and be very persuasive and when I learned how to do that on paper I realized how good I was at writing um so I'm and then I had like a paper published which was really cool and I went and presented it in New Mexico uh, so, and I it was defending Twilight of all things. Um, just I've because read, I've, read, yeah. I've read it. It's very good. And do you have that published? Yeah. You, on your website, right? Yeah. It's very good. We'll talk, we'll tell everybody, uh, where her, what her website is. You can go read the published, uh, short stories and oh, yeah, articles yeah, yeah, that's yeah. on your website. Um, but they're very, very, very good. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the themes that she's getting into um, more recently. Um, I tend to write about what people don't want me to write about. I wrote about Twilight because my professor says Twilight will never be studied in academia. And I was like, bitch, please, I'm going to write something. It's going to get published. And it did. And it so did. <laughs> I Didn't did you, And you got accepted because you wrote it, right? Into this conference yeah. that you went to. Right. So you had to write something in order for them to accept you into going. Yeah, to you had the to write the paper and then you had to send them your abstract. So I had to write 100 words to persuade them. I could only send in the abstract. So here's 100 words of my thesis and my argument. And that's what I had to send to them. And they about did. Twilight. About Twilight. And they got and that, that got you into the they conference. They got me into the conference. Oh, then you got you guys got to read it. Then. <laughs> Absolutely. Because it's so good. Um, so let's talk. I mean, right now you're you're doing a lot of a lot of content creation you're doing a lot of learning and working um <laughs> yeah. where like where are you right now with like your art in general like with not necessarily in terms of like selling and, and all that stuff but where are you in terms of the work um i'm i still and will and only see myself ever doing fan fiction uh -huh. art fan fiction art People say because you, you love it's it. It's right? not fan fiction, but it's it's fan art. Yeah. Because you love you love like because the... that's the only thing that really excites me. Like some people get jazzed when they look at a blue bonnet and they're like, "I gotta paint that fucker," and I'm like, "I don't really want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to paint like I want to paint what I see in my head when I read a book." And I know plenty of successful artists like Alan Lee made a living doing art conception art just on the for peter jackson for the mm -hmm. lord of the rings movies um so like there are legit artists doing it who make a huge killing doing fan art 
it's real. I mean, that's what concept artists are. So your goal is to... So eventually one day I would like to be able to... I, I've loved movie making. I actually went to... I started college with the intent of being a director. Um, I don't think I've ever told you You've that. never told I've me that. I've never told you that yet. So yeah, I took several... I took a lot of video editing classes in college and realized I didn't like the... Like most things. I didn't like the bureaucracy of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like whatever if I do this I'm gonna do it myself so um yeah I went to school to be a director and I was so now I'm like I would like to work on a film project I don't want to be in charge of it I'd love to do the concept art for it at one point or be a part of like um like the set designs or something like that so very from an artistic standpoint um or a writing standpoint I don't want to be in charge of it I want to be like here's the content you make this happen I'm gonna go sit over here yeah in the corner so I don't have to deal with the stress of it. Um, so yeah, so that would be something I would be interested in doing. I'm still interested in... I love the idea of being a part of a massive story project, whether that's animation or real life or whatever CG avatar stuff we have coming. Mm. So a big production like that, I'd like to be eventually be a part of that. So what, do you, like, what, what are some things that you're doing now that's kind of preparing you for that? Um, so I'm really hitting... Well, so right now... Well, you know, because we went to Italy together. I'm really hitting traditional drawing really hard. One, I think it's a very... What, and what do you, how do you find traditional drawing? What do you mean by that? Um, so, very strictly right now, Florentine classical renaissance okay. drawing techniques. Got it. So, like, just renaissance, period? Strictly from Florence, yes. Strictly from Florence, okay, got so it. So, the art, the art curriculum that Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci taught. Okay. And were taught, so, yeah, yeah. So that style of drawing, I'm, it's not where I want to end up, because it's very animated, Mm -hmm. and I like the more realism. Mm -hmm. So, but it's, I love the history behind both of those men, so I feel like it's just kind of a tribute to learn under them. Right. they were such badasses <laughs> like I love the fact that Leonardo da Vinci's Jesus was like his gay lover and that's like the Jesus we all have and that was such a rebellious thing I love those guys because they're just like I'm gonna do what I want and I don't care who gets mad about it yeah that's why I love that whole time period um so yeah so I'm studying their art right now and kind of teaching it to myself and I'm taking an online course right now that's teaching me the basics and then from there, I, I'm, I told this to several people, because yeah. a lot of artists are like, how do I get what's in my head onto paper? Because it's such a hard thing when you don't have reference photos. You're like, I've got this great scene in my head, and you draw it, and it's just this awkward, horrible fantasy doodle. Like, the people are all awkward looking. The dragon looks like a deformed lizard, and you're just like, what happened? <laughs> what, what, what got lost in translation? And it's because you don't have the foundational skills. Once you know how to draw foundationally things around you, then you can embellish them. So you can take a lizard, if you know how to draw it right, and embellish it and give it scales and wings and add to it. But if you don't know how to draw the foundation of it, you, you're stuck. Right. So that's what I'm trying to do. Because um, that's where I struggle right now is I have all these ideas. You know, I try to do fairy art. Yeah. Um, and I've struggled in the past because I could see it in my head, but I'm like, how do I translate it? Something that doesn't exist onto paper. Right. 
um, without strictly copying someone else's interpretation. So that's what I'm doing right now, um, while also building up just a huge catalog of concept art from movies and books that I'm in love with. Just kind of like a portfolio? Yeah. Okay. So like, you know, um, a lot of the conversations we have are like geared towards, I'd say it's 50-50. I mean, we have 50% conversations about the process, the creative yes. struggles of like yes. getting through a piece of artwork. I think 70% of our conversations are <laughs> me being like, yeah. I'm struggling. Yeah. Uh, and then the other percentage uh, is mostly about like how do I turn this into like a money yes. generating thing so I can we keep We do that it. a lot in Florence, yeah. We talked a lot. We talk a lot about it. Um, what well, in your opinion? Uh, don't use me as the. <laughs> Just repeat everything. Don't you repeat ever told what. Me. <laughs> yeah, don't repeat what I've said. Uh, but in your own, you know, synthesizing that information in the conversations, what do you think? Um, is like the number one issue with artists um, specifically living in like smaller cities that you think they face uh, once they get to a certain point <laughs> in their skill level? Um, I think the number one issue for artists probably, I sound like I'm repeating a essay question. The number one question, number one problem artists have in a small town America is, um, it's it's not art. The, it's because artists are generally weird people, which mm -hmm. is why I enjoy most of them. And being a weird person in a small town is just hard within itself. I see. Because you already dress differently and talk differently and you read. And so it's kind of like a feeling of being accepted or being Yeah, part it's of already that. difficult to live in a small town. Because like, I, I think in small towns, you've got like the mainstream art community. Yes. That is generally accepted by the entire community. Yes, you have the people who paint the blue bonnets. That, right. That paint the blue bonnets to do the Western style, which there's nothing wrong with that as long as you're passionate but about it. But it's not art for weird people. Right. Which most the artists, people who are more artists, I think art, people are more in general comfortable being weird now because there's people on the internet to be weird with. Right. And it's really hard to be an artist in a small town because you haven't quite a it's you haven't quite escaped the small town and like we've talked about it's actually you can you can get a better start in a small town it's just very difficult to thrive to feel like you're thriving in a small town because you feel like an outsider constantly right so like what what do you think is something that somebody that's like um quote-unquote weird artist um, or not part of the mainstream of the town they live in what do you think some things they should be doing or how can they you know, uh, band together or find people like them? Like, what, what, would, um, okay. what do you think? So there's fan collectives everywhere. Mm -hmm. They may not all be artists, but like Josh, my brother, loves anime. And he's like, there's nothing to do in ASU. I'm going to make an anime club. So him and some friends got together. And once a week, they all got together and watched anime and talked about it together. Well, you, if you were an anime artist, you could easily have tackled. I mean, they had 30 people in that group. Wow. Like, you show up with a piece of art every week and be like, this is what I made this week. You could sell prints to every single one of them every week. 30. 30 people. 30 prints. And that's not including the events that they did. That's just weekly. Wow. So you've got to find the other weird people who are also secretly, desperately hoping for validation, too. And they just like, we just want to be weird together. Right. So you don't have to find artists, necessarily. 
right. just find people who enjoy the content you enjoy. That's, I think that's pretty. That's I think that's pretty insightful. I think artists think they have to. No, because the problem is artists are like writers, and we're all like Hemingway. It's hard to t- talk to each other because if you're good, everyone's gonna hate each other regardless. Because right. If someone's art is terrible, you're gonna hate on it. Even if you just say something polite, you're still gonna be like, you're still gonna. There's gonna be an element of judgment there because if someone shows you their art, you're gonna hate it because it's better than yours, mm-hmm. or you're gonna hate it because it's not very good. Mm-hmm. And so everyone, there's a weird feeling with artists because we all want to help each other, but we all secretly are like we're we're all measuring where each other is. And you know the irony behind you suggesting that you go find people that are just like minded in a small community is that is the exact thing that really creates a successful online community that can originate from one person right and that i think that's it's ironic in the sense that that's what would work in a small town but it's also what would work globally by like yes it's just easier to tap the niche in a small town because it's easier to persuade 30 people right it's harder when you go to an anime club in austin and there's 400 people watching a show and you're like oh, there's so many people right when you know everybody because there's 30 of you it's a great place to start you're not overwhelmed and yeah you can have a relationship with everybody right and i think that's uh you know i think it's easy to get overwhelmed by like what you think sells the best or what people will like the most and it's easy to I think get caught up in that because you want to like you really do want to be recognized for you know for what you do and it's easy to be recognized when everybody recognizes it does that make sense yes like if it's fandom art and it's like maybe a mashup of like you know the Joker and like you know Lord of the Rings fandom that's a very hyper niche you know, audience that would even But it's still expected because crossovers are expected. Sure, but it's like, it's different than if I just did a painting of Marilyn Monroe. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yes. And I think artists also, while that is a hyper niche, I still think artists aren't daring enough with their niches. Hmm. Um, like, literally, you're... Josh and I have this conversation. There's... Um, Oh, I can't remember exactly what the niche is called. Um, it's like bimboism or something like that. There's, <laughs> there's an artist who only like talks about, like he does fan art from like women going from being very conservative to like embracing their sexuality and like wow, just like but he does like like transition things. And he's got like a he's got thousands of followers. I think he has like fifteen thousand followers on Twitter. Wow, and. A magazine happened to pick him up and he exploded. Like, at what point did this guy go, this is like, if he was like, I'm going to be an artist and I'm going to choose something that I think people would like, he would have never chose no. bimbo time lapses, like showing the transition. Yeah. Like, that's such a hyper niche. And it's just like my niche. I love fantasy gay art, specifically like with guys. It has nothing to do with my life. Right. I mean, obviously, I'm not gay. I love gay people to death. And I draw drag queens all the time. But I love drag art. I love the drag community. I love gay art. I can't explain it. Uh-huh. But my favorite thing is Silmarillion gay, Melkor, and Sauron <laughs> gay art. And I just, I, I can't ever get over it. But that's such a weird, like, Susan, who is my one of my favorite artists of all time. 
at some point had to make the decision, because she made a comic book. She had to decide, I'm going to draw this gay comic of what's considered a Christian story, and people are going to love it. She has thousands of followers. I think she's up to 20,000 followers on Twitter. That started off of that Silmarillion comic. And no one's even read the Silmarillion. There's Tolkien fans, and there's like .01 of us who've read the Silmarillion. Because, as you know, it's difficult to read. Yeah. So, she like, just went balls out. I want to do this. And either I'm going to do it and enjoy it. And people will like it. Or I'm just going to, or only I will end up ever reading this. Just like I was only creating those videos. I never wanted anyone to watch my videos. I just wanted it for the sheer joy of creating it and seeing what I did. Mm -hmm. That's how she was. She just happened, but in doing that, she happened to find a crazy niche that loves her. Mm-hmm. And so I think artists are tend to, because I've done it, tend to go, I have to be very conservative. What will everyone like? People yeah. will like the crazy shit you come up with too, just as much, if not more. I heard on a YouTube um a video it was this guy that represents a very famous artist uh uh you guys probably follow her on instagram her name is charmaine olivia uh she does some very like colorful hippie like type you know uh paintings that they're really they're beautiful they're really great but she's got an enormous following and I, this guy like sort of represents her uh you know for events and galleries and stuff like that and he was giving a little talk about how is it that she was able to like explode the way she did? And he said something that like I go I used to go back and forth on, but you said you just like literally nailed it right now. Um, and he said that the people that will identify with you the most are the ones that are most like you. Right. And it's not necessarily like it's different than if you were selling a product. Um, like you know, if I was you know selling like a uh, uh, you know like a scented candle. You know, I would try and identify people that would be into that scent and then into candles. And then you go down this whole niche and then you find out their their preferences and then you target them and all that good stuff. But that has nothing to do with what I like. Right. Correct. It's you're, I'm trying to sell a product. But when you're developing art, when you're authentic and you are aware of what you're passionate about and what you're really about. I think that it becomes a lot easier to identify those people because they are very much like you. Not maybe in every single sense in terms of like where you're from, where you grew up, but your your interests are very much aligned and it makes it very easy to develop that community. The challenge is, right. is that you have to be very uh, honest with yourself about what it is you're passionate about and then the second step, which I think you just nailed, is is being able to like be fearless about putting yourself out there and what you love out there. Like if you're going to be doing that type of art, you also have to talk about other things that are related to that art and, and talk about that um, because that's what your fans and that's what you do and what you like. Um, and I think that's really important. Like maybe some maybe some like other things that you're into that kind of support your interests. And I think what you'll find is that you'll develop a community that's super connected to you because they feel like they can relate. Right. Like you probably relate to this lady that does that fandom. Susan. Susan, right? She, maybe she posts some other stuff that she might be interested in. You just like kick like, you comment. You're, right. you're, you'll, you'll do something like and that. And I think it's, a, and I, one thing I always, it, kind of what I was talking about before, finding your little group of 30 is right. better than finding your group of 400. Right. And it's kind of a misnomer 
I was thinking about what you're talking about. The lady who does the hippie art. It's a misnomer that the more people you get following you on any type of social media. Right. Like, that's your following. That's your success meter. You can have 100,000 people following you on Instagram and still only 100 people buy your art. Right, because they're not real right. dedicated or you to you. you can have 200 people who follow you on Instagram right. and 100 people still buy your art. Right. You're selling the same amount. Right. You just is a prettier I, number. It's the, it's the uh, quality of those followers. Exactly. And that connect to you. Creating art that appeals to number chasing. I'm going to make art so I get 100,000 followers. You're going to kill your soul in the process of right. harvesting all these people who aren't going to even give you any more money than if you really mined 200 people. Right. And created a relationship with them and the same number of people buy your art. Maybe the key here is, is, you know, being honest with who you are as an artist and what you like to create, uh, embracing the weirdness of it. Um, because when you do that, it makes it very difficult for a fan who follows you, enjoys your art and may end up buying it to find somebody else that does it the exact same way you do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Because if you're really, really good at drawing, pencil drawing, and you do realistic portraits of, like, let's say Marilyn Monroe, there's probably another 100,000 artists out there that probably do realistic portraits of Marilyn Monroe. So at what point do you differentiate yourself and connect with your fans right. if all you have to go off of Which is... Which is why I'm, I love digital art, because as much as I love doing the Renaissance portraits, like the Joker painting I'm working on, right. and the series that I'm working on, which are very hyper-realistic Renaissance renditions of characters... More so, that's kind of my fuck you to the art community and to my professors who I didn't get it along with in grad school who said what I read and consumed was trash. I'm like, I'll make high-end art that proves it's not trash. That's kind of what I'm doing right now. But when I, that's why I love digital art and because I can take it to a next level and I can take it from this is my art, high-end art, and flip it on its head and be like, Here's my animation. Here's my comic book. Here's right. just scenes that of two characters that I love. That's how Susan started. She just one frame comic scenes of Melkor and Sauron, and that's how she exploded. Mm -hmm. She just evolved that. And now she does very high-end art. But she's very well-rounded because on top of her high-end art, she's got very good storytelling underneath her. I think that's, that's another key part is that storytelling part right. of creating art uh, and I don't think a lot of artists think of it in those in that way because it's very difficult to think of a, a one piece of art in terms of storytelling you know and so I think that's what your advantage is as a writer who right. has a lot of experience in storytelling and being able to like tie that in or even just interpret it in, in a visual sense you know with with storytelling so um, where can people go see your stuff Oh, and read right. your art or read your your um your stories and your your uh, your published articles um so i just <clears throat> redid my website so now everything's cohesive the website's a little bare at the moment but i'm adding content every day so every day gets all better um so you can go to shelbyseymour.com like shelby seymour like the car seymour s-e-y-m-o-r-e.com um, or you can just probably Google my lavender forest and find all my social media. That's my handle on everything. It's just my lavender forest. 
And what social medias are you on? Um, I'm on Instagram. It's probably what I'm on the most right now. Uh, well, I say that. I'm on Twitter a lot. I post more content on Instagram. Okay. I mostly just participate on Twitter. I'm pretty active on Twitter. I talk to people more on Twitter. Okay. Um, and pretty active on YouTube, putting content up. Okay. So those are probably my big three right now. Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me. <laughs> In our dining room. <laughs> In our dining room. And having a great conversation that we can share with other folks. Uh, if you guys are, uh, got to the very end of the podcast, thanks for sticking around. This was probably the longest, uh, podcast that I've had. Um, so I'm going to post this up and, um, and then I'm also going to make an announcement in our Facebook group. So go check out the Facebook group, the small town artist, uh, Facebook group. And then, uh, if and post questions that you have, we will answer. Yeah, them. we want some feedback. We want to answer some questions. Um, that you guys might have or if you have any comments about the show and then also make sure you share the show uh, with uh, some other folks that might be interested in what we're doing here talking about uh, art and being in a small town and so <laughs> that's, <joy>. that's a <laughs> niche that's a niche uh, and so uh, thanks for sticking around and we'll see you at the next uh, podcast interview with another artist All right